Welcome to Warp Zone, a podcast on sci-fi, philosophy, religion, politics, gaming, and everything else, or anything else, taboo. Woo! Hey, I am Ben Benasic. I'm Tara Smith. Hello, and I am sitting uh, in the Limes Hotel in Brisbane, uh, drinking Ooh. a coffee called Zeus Coffee from the Humanity Coffee Company. And how would you rate it <clears throat> out of ten? Um... I, uh, in the pantheon of gods, you can't get better than Zeus. Uh, That's true. So it is, it is pretty good. I didn't even know that it was actually called Zeus Coffee until I sent you that picture earlier. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it is the best coffee up here. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I am sitting at home on my floor, on my rug, with my cat, um, in the sun. Oh, right. Uh, so what happened to the university? You know, oh, I'm going to go there early. Now I decided that I would rather be at home. Yeah. 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 I get it. Plus, plus I haven't got a key to that tutor room, and I just couldn't be bothered. What? Don't you? No. <laughs> I have you? a key to my room, but I don't have a key to that room. Oh. I thought you got a it's key. Right. No, it's all right. I don't need a key. <clears throat> hmm. Okay. Sorry. Um. Well... Today is a very special episode because um, uh, I interviewed someone who is very, very well known. It's all today. Um, but before we get into all that, what have you been doing for last week? Uh, I don't know. What have I been doing? I have been I'm feeling a bit vague today, so I'm going to try and sum it up quickly. <clears throat> um, I went to Bondi Beach to icebergs on Saturday. Um, for my sauna club. You know how I'm part of my super cool sauna club? Oh, so cool. Do you want to give a bit of background for those people? Yeah, so I have a friend called Jack, and Jack is a pretty cool guy. So he's, I think his last name's Sawyers, but I call him Jack Saunas, and basically he's obsessed with saunas, um, and he's created his own little Australian sweat bathing association, which you're welcome to go and join. Uh, it has a bit of an internet presence i think there's a website and a facebook but he basically runs monthly meetings where you go and to a different sauna and he has a sauna in his house as well um don't freak out like you wear your swimmers there's nothing like weird about it um basically he just loves um saunas and he's trying to make a sauna culture in australia <clears throat> so we normally we go to his house in his sauna but he um he said he, we went to a different sauna this time so we went to the iceberg sauna in bondi which was really nice yeah. Right. So, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, I find it whole the whole thing quite odd. But uh, the sauna, like, why why do you go to a sauna without? Because a sauna is meant to be a gym thing, yeah. So you go to the gym. No, no. You work no, out. No, no, not necessarily. <clears throat> um, so like, I mean, like Swedish and Scandinavian traditions, it's like a it's like a cultural thing. It's like the big like uh, communal baths where people would go and they talk and they. They, you know, they sweat, like, you know, it's so good for your skin and you start the day off. Like, it hasn't really got that much to do with exercise. I think that there just happens to be, like, a fair few saunas at gyms and people can do both. But a lot of, um, I think a lot of Scandinavian places will just have a sauna and it don't really need to even, it's not even connected to a gym. I don't know. It's not my area of expertise. It's definitely Jack's. So he's doing a lot of surveys on sauna uh, participants and, and things like that. So he's doing, I think, a little research project on it. Um, oh. Okay. And he's publishing in that area, so he's taking it very seriously. Hmm. 
All right. Yeah. Uh, so if anybody wants to join, feel free to email me or you can just look up at ASBA, that's the Australian Sweat Bathing Association. And I think it's you pay maybe $30 or something to join and then you pay like a month, a yearly fee, I think. I don't know. But it's a great group. Um, and yeah, it's been fun. So I did that. And then on Sunday, I think oh, I went to Ikea on Saturday as well and bought some shelving things. You hate Ikea. I know I hate Ikea. But I also like love Ikea a little bit. Oh. Like just like subconsciously love. Like, because there's like certain lollies I can get there that don't have gelatin. So get a <laughs> bit of a get lollies. Yeah. It's just fun. And then um, we went there pretty quick. We were like in and out. So I didn't get too stressed. So we just bought some shelving units and things like that. And what else did we buy? We spent a lot of money. I feel like whenever you go to Ikea, you spend a lot of money. Hmm. You do sound um, less echoey because the apartment often sounds kind of echoey. So is that because the, the shelves are put up or the shelves just <laughs> not, not done yet? Yeah, we, we put some up. We put up, like, I put a little shelf in my um, wardrobe so that I can put my shoes in and, and my bag underneath my, like, clothes hanging space. Very <laughs> exciting. Like, I know people were just, like, tuning in and, like, yes, I want to hear about Tara's cupboard organization. So. Yeah. Yeah, they've seen Wall today Welcome. in the the heading, and they're going to be so no, excited. And they're like, "What is this shit?" Okay, yeah. <laughs> it's all right. We're getting we're getting to Wall today soon. We're going to do like a little lead up. Um, what else? I start tutoring today, so I've got like a very very cute little um bingo that I'm going to play with my kids, where they have to go around and find like twelve other people with certain traits, and it's stuff like I've been to a temple before, and it's quite cute. So I think mm. it's going to be fun. That's cool. And uh, what else did I do? I feel like I had a busy week from this, but I can't really think of much. Hmm. I watched some episodes of Red Dwarf, but don't worry. We'll talk about that next week. <laughs> yep. Um, oh, I saw How's Moving Castle on, it was on like, the day before last. Such a good movie. Yeah, it is good. I enjoy it. Uh, we yeah. received lots of um, Totoro plushies this week at the store because that, that order finally came. I checked behind the counter at one point, and there was just a sea of Totoros from <laughs> one so side cute. of the counter to the other, and they've made baskets of Totoros and pushing oh, plushies. And, amazing. Yeah. I have to come get one. Yeah. And we want to come... Oh, yeah, I went to the markets on Sunday. I went to the um, Bankstown markets, got some oh, yeah. good retro gaming loot for Ben. You did. Um, you sent me a message. I don't usually yeah. get messages like that from you. I get messages from people saying, hey, do you want this thing? And everyone knows <laughs> that I buy lots of Sega stuff. So, uh, And also with the store, like people contact me and say, you know, do you want this bulk lot or whatever, which is great. Um, and I was sitting at breakfast with Ben Campbell from 1989. Yeah. Um, we were having a, a lovely breakfast date at an Americana um, uh, breakfast place. And mm -hmm. uh, I was telling him about my pickups over the last two days. And so I also went to markets and picked up a lot of stuff for uh, a few people that I know um, that knew I was coming up to Queensland, knew I was going to some retro places. So it was um, a lot of money, a lot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I was telling Ben about all that. Ben's telling me about the pickup he made. He picked up a, a gauntlet machine for just $300 after he picked up another gauntlet machine the week yeah. prior. So he's got two gauntlet machines, which are both quite rare, um, mm -hmm. and both he got for absolute bargains. And then I get that message from you saying, oh, there's this stuff. And that's why I was asking you about Nintendo games, because he collects boxed Nintendo 
entertainment um, system games. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so that was good. Um, yeah. Basically, <clears throat> so my this is how we found out about the market. So Tony the Tyler, I think I've told you about my friend Tony. Yeah. He came over and invited us to his kids. Um, we call it confirmation. Mm-hmm. So that's next week. And then he said, I've just been to the markets and I saw a bee box there. And we we're like, oh, that's cool, Tony. Like, you know, you know, we have bees. And then he was like, I'll take you. So, okay. He'd just been to the markets. We decided he wanted to take us to the market. So we all drove to the markets together in, in a convoy. Mm-hmm. And then um, we looked at the bee box, way too expensive, didn't buy it. And then I said, oh, I'm going to have a look. Are there any retro games here? Because I collect. And he's like, I collect too. And I'm like, Tony's a collector. He collects everything. He collects coins. He collects Disney figurines. Like, if there's a collection, he's there. Mm-hmm. So he's like, I also collect games. And there's a guy that does retro games. And so we're like, oh, great. So we went and looked for him and found him. And I was like, I found, I, I know, Tom knows what kind of you like, which is anything old. Not, obviously, we're not interested in anything new. And so mm-hmm. we're sort of like, how much for this? How much for this? How much for this? And then I just started hoarding like a little pile. And at one point, this guy came over to come have a look at the Dreamcast games I had, and I was and I was just sort of like like a like a, what do you call it? My precious kind of like yeah, yeah. kind of like you see it and going, give that mine. <laughs> I'm like I'm, I'm still looking. I'm still looking. Like leave me alone. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was good. And we're gonna go next week, and he's got he says he's gonna bring in his little mini Nez or something. Um. A Neo, Neo Geo Pocket Color. That's the one, yeah. yeah. Uh, Japanese style. Oh, actually, no, they got released worldwide, but they're um a really interesting the... little console. They're quite cool. Yeah. Mm. You can only buy them in Japan, that's what he said. Uh, there were some that were released in the international. There is an international version, and I think that there's only a US um, release. Um, yeah. But it's really interesting. It somehow can hook up to the Dreamcast. So it's a console made by someone else, and Sega made some compatibility with that console with the Dreamcast, which makes mm-hmm. no sense. Um, but yeah, it's a cute little console. Yeah, well, I think he said the games are quite expensive as well. So I don't know. I'll see what he's got next week. Mm. Um, mm. Get there early. Apparently, all the collectors get there really early. So I'm going to get there like first time they open and be like, "Here I am. What do you? What you got?" Because he keeps all these good stuff at the back. It won't display it. So you're like, it's like it's like um going in for like a secret deal. It's like show secret yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's a very common thing with markets. <laughs> there used to be a guy that used to do it at the bazaar markets, and he had like a massive Sega Saturn collection. And and that's my my uh, like you know, drug basically. It's um yeah. so I I like Mega Drive games. I collect lots of different games, but Sega Saturn is my thing. Yeah, and every time I yeah. go there, he'd be like, oh yeah, I just haven't brought it. I'm like, dude. Just bring a box and I'll come next week. And he's like, okay. And then the next week I'd come and he'd go, ah, oh, yeah, I haven't brought it. <laughs> it's just this constant ongoing thing. Um, yeah. But yeah, he just wanted to keep them at home and keep the doubles and thought that no one else would want them and um, and that they were too valuable to just put on display, <laughs> which is a strange thing. Um, yep, but that's pretty yeah. much me. I don't think I can think of anything else super exciting. Um, cool. Well, yeah, what about you? I know you've had, you're dying to tell me about your week, so go on. <laughs> lots of things. So, um, well, uh, on Wednesday last week, uh, I gave my lecture on um, Jung, which was awesome. Yeah. So, Carl Gustav Jung, he's one of my, uh, I guess Babe, you'd say your best heroes. Days. Yeah, he's in my, my top um, something count of favourite people in the world, um, or who, yeah. who have lived. So, I gave that lecture, and... 
Uh, normally I worry about material, about if I've got enough material to deliver a lecture, because I don't write the lectures. I don't um, like write a speech and, and read them. I write dot points and then the way I, I sort of remember things is on the basis of stories of that person. So, mm -hmm. you know, that they have some interest in something and then that will remind me of some of their thought and then it will just go to the next um, the next topic. So it's this, this circular memory movement thing that I, I try and do. Uh, but, mm -hmm. yeah, it ran pretty much out of time uh, with the activity and the, um, uh, the discussion. Uh, it was really funny, actually, though. That, so at the end of the lecture, um, like, oh, has everyone got this? And people were a little bit confused as to why we're talking about uh, Jung's psyche, uh, like views on psychoanalysis and views of the, um, like the hidden part of the self or the unconsciousness and then the collective unconsciousness. And then we had a reading on the modern man. So it was a little bit, I think, too abstract. Um, but I, I think that the students got there and, and appreciated it at the end. But it's, it's something that needs to be worked out over a couple of weeks that, uh, that you know, we got Jung and then William James and then going into Julia Kristeva um, and thinkers like that. It, it takes a while to get to this process. And obviously I can see the course outline from start to finish, but they're yeah. diving in and just seeing one week's worth. Um, so it's a little bit difficult. Uh, but it was fun. Um, Thursday, I had my final day at the shop prior to me leaving on the Friday. Uh, so that was really, really busy because I had a shitload of stuff that I had to do um, before I left, like physical stuff, and ensure that um, the staff knew what packages were arriving when and what to do with which packages. Because I've, I've bought a number of big lots from people, um, plus I've got lots of different things that are coming in and going out and... It's a very busy time of year at the moment, um, generally, because we're, we're ramping up to Christmas time. So, um, yeah, it's un unfortunate that I'm away this week, but I, I am away this week. So I left on Friday. And yeah, with the windy, windy weather. It's, yeah. It's just causing chaos everywhere. It, there was. So I'm uh, actually, I'm on a guest podcast with the Game the System guys. So on episode 50 of Game the System, and we'll put a link in the show notes. Um uh, I actually am part of a conversation there, and you can hear more about the, the issues <laughs> the that windy. happened. Yeah, yeah. And, and what happened with John's ticket, which is quite funny. He like his <laughs> flight got cancelled, and then he ends up actually sitting next to my, uh, Matt and I on the plane, like yeah. on our flight. With very random, random things happen. Anyway, so we get to Queensland, and I go to the retro uh, one of the retro shops, and we bought lots of stuff, uh, and then we went to. I can't even remember what happened Friday night. Um, I think we went to a bar or something. Oh, no, that's right. We went on a, a retro gaming um, arcade road trip. Uh, so we went to three different big, uh, like, pinball and arcade places in uh -huh. Brisbane. And I can't believe, not to offend everyone in Brisbane, however I'm going to, um, I can't believe that Brisbane has so much of this stuff. Like, Sydney, I get it, it's, it's very expensive property prices. Um, Melbourne, a little bit cheaper, uh, but Brisbane is now the real spiritual home of arcading, like, oh. all across Australia. It's, it's crazy. There's, like, 1989, so Tara and I, 1989, and you, you know, like, you, 
know the size of it yet. So it's yeah. quite quite pokey and small. Yeah. But we're talking about places ten times the size. Just and and filled with games. Absolutely filled with arcades and pinballs. All of them working. Mm. All of them ready to go. Um But are they super, super busy? Like were heaps of people playing them? Heaps busy, yeah. Heaps of people wow. playing them. Yeah. It's just it's just such a shame that Brisbane in general is such a hole. <laughs> yeah. <don't> like this <laughs> <laughs> Why don't they move those move those games somewhere like nicer to be around? I just hate Brisbane. Yep, yep. <laughs> Tara says what we all think. Um, <laughs> so there was that on Friday night. Then Saturday, the Donkey Kong competition starts. Um, mm-hmm. I met uh, like Billy Mitchell, Billy Mitchell Jr., Walter Day. We interviewed, um, and the, the, just so many really well-known players um, from the classic arcade gaming space. If anyone's seen King of Kong or any of those type of movies, like that, it's it's amazing that these people gave so much of their time to us. It was so, so good. Um, I, the first time I met Walter on the Saturday, um, I said, oh, I'm Ben Benassik. And he's like, oh, you're Ben. Oh, you're doing the study. You're here. Better, we better have a quick chat. And he pulls me outside and starts talking to me about my... PhD topic. Wow, so he and, knew about it. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. And then he did the same thing to Evan Weston, the Street Fighter and um, Dennis, uh, I forget Dennis, Dennis something. Anyway, um, Double Dragon. He grabs him, uh, both of them, and they're like, and he's like, oh yeah, you guys have got these records and starts talking to them about theirs, knowing this. No notes. Wow. Nothing That's like so that. funny. Yeah, he just knows all these people. Um, I was standing at the edge of um, on, on the Sunday uh, with the semi-finals, and everyone's watching the semis because it was like, you know, um, really, really pro players all playing against each other in knockoffs, single games, and that's it. And then once they're knocked out, that's it. Competition done. Um, he's uh, there was this guy walking through the stall because there's it's at the Ecker this this competition, which is like the Easter show, yeah. I know um, what Ecker is. I've been there. Oh, have you? Ah, so lots of cowboys, lots of yep. alcohol, um, lots of people running around, and inside the um, the arcade thing, it's sort of like a thoroughfare between the the dog and horse stalls and the food stalls over the other side of the the like oval thing. So lots mm-hmm. of people are coming through, and this guy is walking with his daughter, and they're just looking at the arcade games. And Walter starts talking to him and then bends down and has a conversation with the girl about what she likes about gaming and the world. Like, he's yeah. just doing this to everyone. It was amazing. Um, <laughs> Billy Mitchell, very, very controversial figure, um, and uh, particularly in recent times. I ended up... Is he the one that, that cheated, maybe accused of cheating? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's, he's sort of redeemed himself because he has done those scores now after... His records have been taken away, um, so he's he's reachieved those, and everyone knows yeah. he's doing that on original hardware now. So he he's got those scores back, and he's actually bettered those scores a little bit now as well. But they're not being counted towards Twin Galaxies. Uh, I've I've spoken to him like over not today, but the last three days, met up with him a number of times, and just hanging around with him. And now he's joking around with me and being sarcastic. And um, yeah, yesterday. 
we were talking about how sometimes he's recognised and people think that he's cosplaying as himself and not a real... <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> this guy came up to him and Walter at a, a conference and he's like, ah, you guys have really nailed it. You look like those guys. Um, someone actually came up to him as well and said, oh, uh, yeah, 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 you're that John Wick guy. And <laughs> he's like, I'm not. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, they're really, really nice guys. Really, really friendly. Um, That's cool. Yeah, so... Just hung around there basically on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, recorded a Game the System podcast as well um, with the guys on Sunday night. Um, that was a bit of a mega cast. I had lots and lots of people on it. And then um, yesterday, uh, which is Monday, um, I'd organized to sit down with Walter. Um, and I have to say, like, before we jump into that interview, and then maybe we can talk about it if that's cool. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, there's two people that, that really um, made that happen. So Jimmy Nails is the owner um, of, of an arcade up here. Now, Jimmy's the co-organiser of uh, the Kong-Off um, yes. up here, and I sent him a message saying, look, Walter's agreed to this. Um, I know you guys are taking him around on Monday. Uh, is there any chance to, to have this happen? Um, he was speaking to John Tannehill, who is the world record holder for Space Invaders, and he's younger than both you and I, Tara. So this is a young guy that just wanted to play an old game and plays it really, really freaking well. Um, Both of them um, spoke to Walter's people and just made this whole thing happen, uh, which is really, really great. Um, The other people that that also made it happen was game system guys, particularly Matt and Mark. Uh, John had flown uh, back on the Sunday, mm-hmm. uh, no, Monday morning. Um, so the reason why we set up there was because I was paranoid the recording was going to break. So um, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Um, so we had two sets of recording equipment set up at Lone Pine, which is a koala sanctuary. Mm-hmm. Um, there's koalas and birds in the background. So many birds. Oh, many birds. Turkeys. Um, bush turkeys, they're really big um, and really brave as well like they just <laughs> walk up to you and start pecking around your feet like these big, big bush turkeys um, yeah. anyway, so we're there and uh, set up the double recording equipment uh, and Walter expressed a um, a desire for the recording to get out there in the world and get out there in its full form so from start to end of the discussion between he and I, um, he wanted the whole thing just to be put put out there so that people can start talking about this stuff. Um, and so I said to him, well, Mark and Matt run the podcast. We run the podcast, uh, Warp Zone. What would you think if we put it out there in these both forms? And he said, yep, that's the right thing to do. Uh, and we definitely need to do this. So this, the desire to get this out in the world is, was really strong mm. with him. Um, and he's got a, he's got a good sense of of time and place and um, you know the not having the ability to have longevity in the world. Um, I think that that's where this desire has actually come from. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So that's been my week. It's been crazy, crazy. Uh, yeah. Well, so do you want to maybe should we play the interview and then have a chat after? Yes, yes, let's do that. And All right, do you want to maybe introduce 
all today because I know that I don't know. I didn't know who all today was. So there's going to be some people listening who aren't in the retro gaming community. Do you want to do a little introduction and then start the interview? Sure, sure. Okay, so Walter Day, uh, he is the owner, or was the owner of Twin Galaxies, which is a, uh, and was an arcade, uh, a very early arcade um, through the, the 80s. Um, it, it was at Otomwa, Iowa. Otomwa, Iowa is a very tall, small town. Uh, has a cross-section of a road, so it's basically like, uh, if you imagine the centre of America, and then there's a T-centre of America, that's where Twin Galaxies was, like right in the middle. Um, <laughs> and Walter's a really interesting guy. Walter collected business cards from people and collected newspapers and was selling them for a period of time and uh, became obsessed, I guess, with excellence and then wanted to open up a video game um, uh, place, uh, an arcade, and watch people achieve really high scores. And... Someone who was playing um, a game called Defender, and Defender is a really hard game, um, uh, was getting a really, really high score, playing it for like 18 hours on one single credit, which is not mm -hmm. normally done in arcades. So, like arcades are designed to be coin crunches. They, the average game will last maybe a minute or two minutes because the arcade operator wants you to go in there, spend your coins, and get out as fast as possible. Um, so that the next person can do it, or they want you to compete against other people. So you have this, um, you know, friendly competition and, uh, you know, coins that are just going in the machines. What he found was there was players that were playing past the two minutes to the point where they could play indefinitely until their bodies actually gave up. Uh, the Nibbler yep. Championship was around that time as well, which was a 50-hour marathon. Wow. Yeah. Um, so what Walter did is he called up uh, a number of the video game companies like Midway, Nintendo, and said, oh, uh, what's the world record for this game? And they say, we don't know. We don't keep records of that. And Walter called all of them and found that none of them kept records. So he thought, well, that's it. You know, I guess we, we won't be able to find out what the perfect score is. What is the perfect point that someone gets to in their life where they've set a, a, a score which can never be achieved? And he then called them back and said, well, I, I'll keep the scores. So just give people my phone number and I'll launch the Twin Galaxies International Scoreboard of Video Gaming. And that's what started Twin Galaxies, the website later, uh, which still goes today and then it links into the Guinness Book of World Records. Uh, mm -hmm. He did that. About an hour later, some guy calls up and says, I've just got a score on this. And Walter's like, oh. And then goes out, checks his machine, comes back to the phone, and he says, well, congratulations, you are now second in the world because <laughs> someone else had already beaten that score that yep. that kid had called up about. And he goes, oh, okay, all right, I'll call back tomorrow. Leave it with me. And then the next day he calls back and gave, like, a new score. So, um yeah, yeah, very, very excited people uh, around that time because they just wanted <laughs> their scores to be known. Uh, yep. And then Walter, uh, his arcade ended up shutting down uh, a number of years later, but he kept the scoreboard going. Uh, and it went in a different, uh, a couple of different iterations. They'd travel around America with really good players, setting good scores in different arcades, um, mm -hmm. and then uh, became really well-known and actually almost became 
the front face and spokesperson of classic um, and uh, retro gaming, particularly in the arcade scene. He wears, uh, what he looks like, so he's a 70-year-old guy. He wears a, a referee uniform all the time. Um, <laughs> we were at the Koala Sanctuary. He was wearing the same thing there. Like, this mm -hmm. is what he wears constantly. Um, and he's a really, really gentle, uh, warm human. He looks you in the eyes. So through this interview, he is piercing into the eyes of myself, Matt and Mark and uh, engaging with us in, in that space. Uh, is that a good summary? Yeah, I think so. All right. Well, I'll play the in the interview and then we can talk mm -hmm. about it. Sounds good. So just to start recording, I'm Ben Benassik, um, doing my PhD on the uh, religious um, experience of perpetual video gaming. Um, I'm here with Walter Day, uh, who's agreed to be interviewed, and thank you for your time, Walter. I really I'm honoured to be interviewed by you, Ben. Thank you. Thank you. Um, you're very well known uh, in the retro game community um, and around the world, uh, but I just want to uh, ask you a question about the beginning of why you started to get into video gaming. Uh, I know you were collecting uh, newspapers and um, business cards. What drew you to video gaming? What was that next step? Um, in 1969, in California, in, in, in America, I was a part of what we call the hippie movement. So I started taking marijuana and LSD. And I did it for, mainly for happiness because you know people want to be happy and it seems to be a basic tenet of everybody's psychology and just emotional structure that they want happiness in fact I realized actually I want a happiness more than anything I want a happiness more than money I want a happiness more than fame I just want to be happy inside and so I was taking drugs hopefully that it would cause just happiness it was just a general feel but after some time of taking marijuana and drugs, it began to have a very deleterious effect on me. It began to cause psychological stuff, emotional trauma. I had constant headaches. I had constant backache. My stomach couldn't digest. My feet ached. I couldn't sleep properly. My eyes ached. All sorts of stuff began to go wrong. Because the stress and the impurities that I was imbibing through taking the drugs was having an effect on me that was kind of dire. And there was no, no happiness at that time. There was depression and actually a sense of grief. So, uh, so the drug process was not working out for me, except that while taking LSD, while living on the, on the, on the middle fork of the Yuba River, in California, which is the northern part of California, what they call the, the mother load area, Yuba, uh, Nevada County, near Nevada City, California, I suddenly had, which in, in, uh, in, in classic spiritual sciences, my kundalini went up. You're familiar with the kundalini? Mm -hmm. And I went out through my crown chakra and had the experience of the divine self that lies at the basis of everybody's existence and everybody's state of consciousness. So I had a glimpse of self 
realization. And in that state of expanded, unbounded, and it's a level of unbounded that defies the world word unbounded. The limitations of... We'll be in a bit. Two minutes. Okay. <laughs> I didn't understand his answer. <laughs> he doesn't have any concept. Of that. <laughs> that was just Richie Knuckles. <laughs> so, Casually. So, so, so there was this, there was this unbounded consciousness, and, and in that state of consciousness, a tremendous amount of information of genuine, pure, real knowledge automatically comes into you and you suddenly, you suddenly discover the greatest mystery of all, who the self is and, and why the creation exists and what it's all about. This is the experience that happens to, especially now at this point in time in history, is happening to hundreds of thousands of people all over the world, even without the use of things like drugs, because this is a very transformational time that's happening in what we'll call that self which is pure consciousness is being unfolded in many, many people's lives because there's a big transformation happening in the way. So mm. I had this orientation, and after it was over, and I settled down, uh, what happened? And as the influence of the, uh, as, as the Kundalini, you know, stopped going up and the crown chakra closed down again, I fell back into a state that was extremely stressed because the stress that was put in there from the drugs and also the stuff we bring in in our DNA from our family lineage because we carry we carry the stuff for many generations in our physiology that's directly affecting our consciousness so that began to kind of like wear back down on me it was like us closing back down into the narrow narrow confines of being a person who's not illuminated not enlightened not divinely unfolded and to me it was the most awesome slap in the face because I, because I realized that I had uncovered the secret that lies at the basis of why we exist and why did I have to get back down to the confined space. And I had the realization that I had to go do some practice that was going to unfold this and make this the permanent state of my awareness in my, you know, my, on, my, on my spiritual development and that it couldn't be drugs because the drugs were ruining the nervous system. That was a tremendous stroke of positive karma that I had that realization and perspective because I had so many friends who continued taking drugs for years and it essentially destroyed their nervous systems. And one friend said to me, because he started TM with me, because I, I eventually I got in a trance on the he says, I, I was so, he says, I regret so much that I didn't go and do what you did and go and become a teacher of transcendental meditation and continue to take drugs because it ruined my nervous system. But anyway, so that's my perspective. I'm very anti-drugs because they had a direct front row seat in seeing how drugs influenced the nervous system and what was happening to all my friends back from what we'll call the hippie era. And this does lead up to something that applies to what we're going. But I hope you find the story interesting. Mm. So I went back home to Boston, because it was in California, to sell all my stuff, to go to India to find a master. And the, the whole idea is that there are masters who are part of traditions of knowing how to bring you through the process of unfolding all this and cleaning up your nervous system so that once again your kundalini will go up and you go after your crown chakra permanently and you'll be what they call enlightened. Okay? So essentially I went there. My father was so upset when he found that I was going to go to India. This was the worst thing because you know how parents want success for their children and this was the completely opposite of what he thought would be a, a successful normal life. And from this point onward I was no longer a normal person. 
which really disturbed my father. Because <laughs> he had been a World War II veteran who got, he was a paratrooper who got wounded in the Battle of the Bulge against the Nazis during World War II. So he had a very worldly sense of uh, value and you know, destiny and stuff that he helped for me. But at that moment, I went to a, I went to a meeting one night to see someone named Sri Chinmoy, who was a famous spiritualist, who talked about higher states of consciousness. It was, and I was sitting on the steps of what was called a brownstone building on Beacon Street in downtown, you know, the east back, back bay of Boston. And Sri Chinmoy never showed up. But another person and I started talking about my experiences on LSD and how the Kundalini came up and I went out the crown shock. And he says, yes, I know someone else who had that happen to them too. And he says, maybe you can continue to make that happen primly through LSD. But a better way is do you have your mantra yet? And I says, what's a mantra? And he explained to me how there was an organization that taught something called transcendental meditation and that they guarantee that in five to eight years they would bring you to unfold your pure consciousness and enlightenment. So I got all excited. The next day I shaved off my long hair, my big beard, and I just looked like a baby face, and I showed up at the TM Center and walked in the door, and I said, with my eyes glowing, because I just stopped taking LSD two weeks earlier, you know, I came in and says, I'm here for a master. And they look up at me, they roll their eyes, and they say, no, you don't need a master. All you, all you have to do is practice transcendental meditation, just 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes in the evening. And it fixes everything, balances everything, and it will unfold that pure consciousness that lies at the basis of your mind and existence and, and make appear, you know, enlightenment dawn. And so I started Transcendental Meditation, and what began to happen was so, so miraculous and so remarkable that I thought, my God, I got to do this, and I got to see how I can increase the results and happen even faster. And also, I wouldn't mind teaching this, so I actually went away and spent a lot of time, many years, again and again, with Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, where he personally trained me to be a teacher of Transcendental Meditation. And, and in the course of all those years, um, life got better and better and better and happier and happier and happier and better and clearer and more intelligence, more creativity, more energy, healthier, everything improved a lot. And it was quite remarkable because uh, the best way to explain how, how this all works is imagine the pond. Imagine if I drew a, a diagram of a pond with a straight line and then a wavy line here and a bubble rises up from the bottom of the pond up to the surface of the pond. And as it rises up, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and on the surface of the pond, it pops as a bubble. And if you're in a rowboat on the surface, you can see the bubble, okay? But you can't see the bubble when it's at its earlier stages, the development in, in the place where it originates in the soil at the bottom of the pond. So people, when they hear I meditate, they say, oh, I meditate. There's tons of things out there people are doing right now, and they all lump it together and say, oh, I'm meditating but none of them are doing transcendental meditation. They're doing things that usually invite, involve either concentration or contemplation. When you're doing concentration, you're in a rowboat and you drop an anchor and you're at one place on the surface of the pond, but you're still on the surface of the pond. And if you're doing a meditation based on contemplation, it means like you're thinking thoughts or analyzing truth or whatever. That's like rowing around on the surface of the pond rowing around on the surface of the pond, but you're still on the pond, on the surface of the pond. Transcendental meditation uses a capability that's already automatically built into your nervous system that allows you 
to dive out of the rowboat and swim down to the depths of the pond, meeting those bubbles deeper and deeper. Because in other words, the analogy is that the mind works in the same way that pond does, that an impulse of thought will come from that place that they call the source of thought, which is pure consciousness, and rises up through the areas of the mind, and on the surface, where we're experiencing right now, you experience the thought, oh, I just thought of something. But that impulse of thought actually went through a big process coming from that source and rising up through the mind to reach the surface in the same way the bubble of gas will rise up through the pond and reach the surface. So they call this the bubble diagram to, to, to show the dynamics of how the thought process works. And right now everybody's on the surface where they only use a small percentage of their brain and at the depths there's all these processes that they're never open to except with transcendental meditation they are and they directly dive down and experience the bubble of thought at the source from where it actually originates from and it turns out that the place where it originates from is that place that I reached when I had that experience in the Kundalini and the chakra and everything and there at that place it's the place where all your energy all along has been coming from it's the place where all your intelligence all along has been coming from the place where all your, your creativity and all your happiness, the experience of divine happiness, the experience of joy. Like when you were a little kid, five or six or seven, most kids had a lot of happiness at some time in their life. Imagine the most happiness, just you, you so much happy, you just can't contain it, there's so much happiness, and things are so exciting. Well, that there, that sense, or that experience comes from that source, and that source is still there, and that source can be unfolded and opened up, and you can regain not only that level of happiness, but the ancient sages describe it as a place of unbounded, unbounded bliss. Bliss is happiness on a level that's so intense and so almost overshadowing that it completely fulfills the whole meaning and whole goal of life itself, just having that unfolded. So that money doesn't mean anything anymore. You know, surface little things don't mean anything anymore because you unfold that divine bliss that's deep inside. Now we've got to the part that applies to your particular thing. Because all the ancient principles just described what's called the ancient Vedas. The word Veda is ancient Sanskrit of the language that's not really spoken by anybody anymore. And Veda means, well, there's been different interpretations, but it means divine light of truth. These birds are really outrageous. It means the divine light of truth and the correct information. And according to the ancient text of the Vedas, the nature of life is to expand and move to a state of more and more and more happiness. And when Maharishi would explain, this, explain it to us TM teachers, he'd say, it's just like a bumblebee. A bumblebee will flit from flower to flower to flower, but it's not doing it just to flit. It's doing it because it's trying to find more and more nectar, more and more nectar, more and more nectar, more and more nectar. So there's this, this, this divine, there's this movement to try and fulfill yourself and move to what they would say, a field of greater and greater happiness always moving forward, always wandering forward to a state of more and more and more and more happiness. Mm -hmm. And so that's why, I remember the analogy I used when we talked, if you take a piece of paper and crumple it into a ball, they get real close and it's quiet and you listen, you'll hear it start crickling and crackling because what it's trying to do is unfold itself back to its normal state. So there's motion in creation that originates from an early... The, the, the earliest state of creation is supposed to be a ground state 
that scientists call the absolute because they don't know what else to call it. Mm. But it, mm. what it is is people who have that divine vision. It's the divine ocean, a divine ocean. Maharishi used to tell us TM teachers that it is so big that it goes on forever and ever and ever, defying all imagination or all confinement of concepts, that level of pure divine existence. And the part that's folded up and crunched into a ball that makes up the creation tries to go back to that original state. And in the process of it uncrinkling like that piece of paper, trying to reflatten itself back out, that forward motion, what happens to go in clockwise motion, by the way, mm. is the process of, the, uh, of, the, of that crumpled up part of the universe, which is what we'll call the creation, wanting to go back to the divine state of unboundedness. And it is that forward motion that is the key dynamic energy that's behind everybody wanting to do more and achieve more and enjoy more and have more and more happiness and more and more happiness and more and more happiness. And it is this basic spiritual principle which is completely in operation when a person is trying to fulfill themselves through either being a better father, a better businessman, uh, a better husband, a better student, or a better video game player. So when a person is playing video games, that is just the superficial mask, just the skin they're wearing on top of these deep spiritual principles that are in operation of every single person all the time. Even bad people who do evil things, deep down inside, there's still this drive for happiness and but because of some twisted DNA or other bad karma they have or something, they're expressing it through things that are not positive and hurt other people. But deep down inside, they're still trying to fulfill themselves and be happy. And so that's that dynamic that's going on beneath them. So part of the structure of creation is a threefold thing. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. But in ancient Sanskrit, according to the ancient Vedas, it's called Rishi Devatan Chandas. Have you ever heard of those? Yes. Rishi Devatan Chandas. Rishi is the father, Chandas is the son, and the Holy Ghost is the Devata. And what that means is this. I, Walter Day, am experiencing Mark. In other words, the perceiver, the perceived, and the process of perceiving. Rishi Devata Chandas. The I, the you, and the process of me seeing the you. I, Walter Day, the Rishi, see, which is the Devata, you, Ben. So this structure is, it's, it's all nested in its side, folded in all, all these incredible ways that makes the creation what it is. Because you know how you hear how everything's made in the image of God, and as is above, as below. There's this divine structure of threefold that twists all over itself in all sorts of ways to make all the different forms and all the different things that happen in the universe. And part of the part of this equation is the chandas part. And chandas means hidden. In other words, all the different things that according to the spiritual principles we're trying to pursue, meaning happiness, more happiness, more happiness, it gets covered up by the chandas so that you begin to think, oh, if I'm successful with video games, I'll be happy. If I'm successful as a father, I make money or, or go on trips, I'll be happy. Well, what happens when they become more spiritually evolved and that illusion gets pulled away, they find out that they were going after happiness itself. And only the illusion, temporary delusion on the surface was that, oh, it'll be the success in the video games. 
that will make me happy. Mm. But that can be swept away with expanded consciousness, and they find out that it's the process of wanting to be happier. Do you see a similarity then between um, someone that does uh, I hope this action. is making sense to you, right? Absolutely, right. yeah. Um, but you, so you see this similarity between how, um, you know, a, a person that's endeavouring on um, being a better person or uh, being a better father or being a better video gamer, there is some sort of mode which they're, they're putting upon themselves. So I, w- I want to take it back to your gaming um, experiences, your personal ones. So when uh, you, you held a couple of world records at a mm-hmm. point and you could have been in that um, famous photo uh, out the front of your arcade for Time magazine, um, did, when you were playing that game or games at the time and you're surrounded by people that are trying to push themselves further and further and further, did you find that there, there was... Um, that similar sort of experience that those players are, are, are getting, where their attention is focused on the game only, you know, time is slowing down, and there is this seeking. Okay, so the actual, so the, so we're getting towards the actual experience of having the game experience be relative to a spiritual experience. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, I think this is the best way to experience it. Uh, I'd explain it. Well, first of all, for me. And I talked about this in some of my early writings. Because I was a teacher of Transcendental Meditation, and I had seen in my own life the quality of my life improve a lot, remarkably, just amped up tremendously in every category of life. And the reason I say every category of life is because one of the ancient Vedic principles is that when you want to improve something in your life, you water the root. You put the fertilizer and the water at the root. What that means is when the plant gets the fertilizer and the water at the root, all the branches and all the stems and all the leaves and all the fruit, as diverse as they are from each as, as diverse as they are from each other, all flourish at the same time. As opposed to putting a teaspoon of fertilizer on an individual leaf and water on an individual stem or something like that. So so for me, I had seen all these improvements happen. And uh and so I was impressed with the process of improvement and how it would express itself and manifest itself in increased excellence in action. Mm. Which is what you want to get towards. Mm. Increased excellence in action. Like, uh, so that's why I had this orientation already as part of my personal makeup. And so when I, when I, when I entered the realm of the video game world and I saw people excel at video game playing, I was impressed, but not just impressed because they were getting high scores, I was impressed by the dynamic of them unfolding more and more potential and expressing it as greater as greater and greater capability in doing high scores. Right. So in other words, the high scores, the high score is going to be the marker to define how developed they were and how much further development is possible as shown by a high score. So that, to me, was the basic bedrock of my participation of competitive gaming, and I was intrigued by it. And so, for me personally, as I've said in past writings that you might have read, that I actually went on the road looking for, for, for in one case, the greatest Pac-Man player of all. And, uh, and I went from arcade to arcade to arcade, almost like a, almost like a, a, a typical movie you know, pilgrimage trying to find the, the highest master. But in this case, I was intrigued by finding the greatest Pac-Man master. So I actually went from arcade to arcade to arcade in the Southwest America, trying to track down alleged masters who could get three and four hundred thousand points from 
on, on Pac-Man. And during the time, it was so innocent and natural for me to do this. I didn't realize what an outrageous adventure it was, you know, to be doing this because no one else in the world was doing this, you know. I was there all by myself doing this. And so I actually finally ended up at a final arcade in Sandy, Utah. Sandy, S-A-N-D-Y, Utah. And I found the place where allegedly these masters were. And when I came in, I started asking questions and everything. And I was an outsider. They all clammed up and they wouldn't tell me anything. So they, I was, it was like I was an outsider there to steal their ancient secrets or something like that. <laughs> so I got nowhere with it. So I just went away in frustration. But the thing is, is I actually went through the process of trying to track down. So it was my, so it was my variation on a person, uh, 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 on a seeker going on a pilgrimage to try and find higher knowledge and perfection as expressed in a person's capability to change their level of consciousness into a marker that's defined by a video game score. Isn't hmm. that interesting? Yeah, very. And so I went on that path. I don't think anybody ever did that. I don't know if anybody ever did that again. But I think they made a movie. It's called... I can't remember what it's called. Hollywood Zap. Hollywood Zap, where they allegedly went on to try and find the greatest saxophone player. But that movie came many, many years after I did this. So, so I was intrigued by excellence in action as being played out in terms of video game scores. And with that as my mindset, I already had the spiritual orientation towards video game expertise. And so it was a very, very small next step for me to become the official scorekeeper and having Twin Galaxies come into creation mm. and start documenting scores and whatever and, uh, you know, all over the world like that. So... Now, so I'm watching all these champions play, and and amazed, and and what's happening, what grows out of it now is a culture based around video game success, as you know, with Twin Galaxies being the the you know the uh, the crossroads of it, you know, and uh, and also a tradition of honoring this video game success with leaderboards and championships and contests, and then all the all the, all the, uh, the fame that goes with it, and all the media attention that goes with it, so that it was all set up and running. But all along, because of my past background, I realized that deep down inside, these kids are trying to find enlightenment, and that's why there's the drive. And that's the point for me. Almost that's the most basic principle of everything that I know and I've learned through my experience, is that all along, no matter how that Chandas thing, that, 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 that outside Chandas, see, this is... You've heard that this is supposed to be an illusion out here, mm -hmm. and it is, I can assure you that. But that illusion will go and it'll go and have all these different flavors. In other words, all these people have different reasons in their head why they're doing this, but it's always that drive towards going back to divine enlightenment, because that's where the divine happiness is and everything like that. So essentially, all along, I'm realizing that these kids like to be enlightened, and they're completely out of state of consciousness, where they'll, maybe they'll never know that in this life, and they're going to think that if they get the success of the high score, that'll be the fulfillment. They get the high score, next success. But what happens is once they get that high score, they have to have another one, another one, another one, and that's an important point for your thing. It's incessant. It doesn't stop. It doesn't stop because the score is not the goal, actually. In their mind, because of their level of consciousness, they think attaining that score 
in getting whatever peripheral fame or glory or whatever it is, they think that that's the fulfillment of all. But no, their mind will move on to the next goal and the next thing and the next thing and the next thing because it doesn't end. Because it doesn't end until you finally have divine spiritual enlightenment, which is at the basis of everything, including their desires to have higher and higher scores. So you think, I hope this all works for you. Guys. Absolutely. See, so you think that the um, the manifestation of trying to get to that perfection isn't a byproduct of the type of game, rather it is a byproduct of what that person's personal journey is. Oh yeah, and the, so well, first of all, uh, let me, let's see if I got have the right answer for that. First of all, first of all, there's 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 different rhythms. First of all, we're, we're that Rishi Devaton Chandas manifests into five other things that sprout off it. And those are things that are called the doshas. And you've heard of Vada, Pitta, Kapha. Okay, Vada, Pitta, Kapha. And they have five sub-doshas for each one. Sorry, couldn't resist. Couldn't resist. There is a turkey in the no background. Idea. I have no idea what that is. It's a, some type of a large bird. Yeah. Australia, the land of large birds. <laughs> okay, so Rishi Devachandas, they sprout out into these, these doshas, which is Vada Pitta Kapha. Pitta is like the fire element. Pitta is like the fire element. Vada is like the air element. And Kapha is like a combination of like earth and water or something like that. And a person might be really heavy and gains weight easy. They would have a Kapha imbalance. A person who's constantly fighting and angry and stuff like that, their face is red, they have a Pitta imbalance. And a person who's a, maybe a great, great computer genius or maybe be autistic level of computer genius, they may have like a, a Vata imbalance. But they all have subdoshas too. Like for instance, Pitta. A Lochika Pitta is in the eyes. Buddhika Pitta is in the stomach. Uh, no, Buddhika Pitta is in the skin. Panchika Pitta is in the stomach. Ranjika Pitta is in the blood. And, um, and Sadika Pitta is in the heart. And it's from the ancient word sadaka, where the word sad comes from. When a person's sad, it means there's an imbalance in there, which causes the experience of grief and sadness. So all the people in the world who are getting depressed and they commit suicide, it's because this became imbalanced. And that can happen through a lot of different things. One of them is the way you eat. You can cause imbalances in all these things, and that's what, by the way you eat, or maybe if you're at a computer all the time and surrounded by lots of electrical stuff. The electrical stuff has a big effect on you. And it could mess up the booty pit or the brain, stuff like that. So all these things become imbalanced. But, but, they have a, the reason I brought this up is because they, the people come in with these tendencies. So a person will automatically gravitate to Robotron and have a Robotron strength that they wouldn't have like on Nibbler. Or they might have a Robotron strength that they wouldn't have on Star Wars and so forth. In other words, the games that they choose do not happen by accident. It's almost like water running down a gully. The water flows down the gully and just goes where the gully goes. Mm. So in other words, they automatically manifest traits and tendencies that are already, in a sense, hardwired in a sense. Not completely hardwired, because you can change it. Through you can change your destiny and a lot of stuff that goes on inside you through something like transcendental meditation. Because mm. when you go into that deep state of consciousness, it purifies all the impurities that are draped in all over you. So they have these tendencies to, uh, to, uh, uh, to automatically gravitate to a certain kind of game style that will be a certain kind of speed, 
mm. you know, like Nibbler involves all these fast turns and stuff like mm. that. Robotron, Robotron involves the linkage that's inside your brain to be able to see the. You know Robotron very well. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So now, when most people see Robotron, they see a throbbing mass of stuff going on the screen that's almost inc that's literally incomprehensible to 95 percent of the people it's just a mess and th there's no no way they can perceive discern how to find their way through that mass of throbbing convulsing stuff and actually get to the next screen so they die mm -hmm. but for a person who has that specific linkage based on all these other things i've described where she david Johnson, they're actually seeing it in a slower motion than you're seeing it and for them it is self-evident and an easy fit for them to see the way out and to see what to shoot next and what to shoot next and what to shoot next. In American baseball, there's a famous baseball player, uh, many famous baseball players, who like, you even know what a baseball game looks mm, like in America. Mm. There's the outfielders, and some of them would have that kind of intuition that when they heard the crack of the ball off the bat, somehow at a deep level their mind already knew where it was going, and they already took one or two steps in the right direction, mm, mm. which was the difference to make them a great, great fielder as opposed to just maybe a good fielder because there's some deep inner thing. So there's all these principles that are in operation that are making the person gravitate to the games that they actually choose because it's part of the workings of their inner mind and their inner nervous system. And so, and when they're doing all this stuff and they're fulfilling the nature of their nervous system, they will have, and I'm sure this is important to your thing, they will have an inner sense of balance which will translate in their experience as an experience of some sort of spiritual expansion and experience settling down. Because remember the bubble diagram just described, as you go deeper and deeper into the bubble diagram, the transcendence, there's more silence there. In fact, when people, when people have the experience of the divine, they're astounded by how silent it is. It's literally the most expanded, silent thing in existence. And, and so, and so, what's so amazing? And what's so amazing is that when they have the experience through video game playing of some more refined state, it will be. It's like it's like they say the zone, but 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 but, but here are the component. Here's the componentry of the zone. This is important. The componentry of the zone is that they become more silent inside, they become more expanded inside, all the stuff they're dealing with slows down a little bit more and more and more, and the amount that it slows down will depend on how much spiritual expansion and development they already have as their baseline of consciousness for this particular incarnation. And as you know, we all have a lot of incarnations, whether you believe it or not, it's true. Okay? And so, they're going to have that sense of silence, they're going to have that sense of settling down, that sense of expansiveness, and in that expansiveness, it's easier for them to see all the working parts they're dealing with and know what the next right move is. And when that happens, it's like they're on automatic because the, it's almost like the forces of nature take over and they're doing it for them. And that's what people report when they go down to the bottom of that bubble diagram and they start operating from there permanently, all the rest of the stuff starts happening automatic and it's like they witness. Like when you get on a monorail train 
and the monorail goes on that path where it goes and you're just a passenger there. That's why so many spiritual writings throughout all of history say, I am just the chariot, I, I am just the charioteer in the chariot, but the chair, like, it's like the, the vehicle's operating on its own and they talk about being a divine witness, the experience of life. And they're sitting there, and everything happens around them without have without without them being engaged in the action of it. Now, this is probably very, this is very very hard to explain or understand unless you actually have the experience. But there's a point in evolution and spiritual development when you reach that state, you start experiencing the world just doing it while you're sitting back in this expanded divine silent state where you're not active anymore and it's all happening by itself. They call that cosmic consciousness. So when a person has that kind of bias in the nervous system that they can get into what we traditionally have called the zone, it means they've settled down below the surface of that bubble diagram. And in that more subtle place, it's more expanded, it's more quiet, it's more, there's more energy there, there's more creativity, there's more intelligence there. And in that state, because of the expansion and the quietness and everything slowing down as an experience, they can see all the moving parts. And they don't intellectually, and 99.99% never know intellectually what's just happened. All they know is that they're in a state that tradition has been called the zone. And in that state, they have their greatest games ever and make their mark on gaming history. That's amazing. Um, but it all fits with everything else you've yeah, started. Yeah, it, it really, really does. And I know I've, I've jumped around with questions That's a little nice. bit. See, I've tried to, I've mm. tried to give you a schematic mm. of the spiritual experience mm. that the gamers have mm. in reflection to what the basic baseline spiritual experience is that's existing for people, especially now in history, because this is a big moment in history. Sure. Lots of stuff's happening now where more and more people are experiencing that state we call cosmic consciousness. Mm. And whether or not they're sitting there, whether or not they're sitting there writing in an office and they go into that state of witnessing or the divine cosmic consciousness or whether they're playing a video game it's uh, still the same level of consciousness but the thing that's so entertaining is about a video game is it's so dynamic and that's what's so extraordinary about it because in the midst of the noise and clamor of the video game that divine expanded silence is beginning to dawn but because they're not truly enlightened they only go a little bit down but down enough that it becomes an experience that gives them more expansion, more silence, everything slower, and they perform better and turn it into a world-level score. Amazing. How about that? Yeah. So do you, I guess the finishing off the questions on the video gaming, and then you can say anything else you like, you want to add to this, but um, do you think that there's any games that don't um, meet that criteria, or is it just up to each person? Like, is there a game for everyone, or is there a person for every game? Well, well, uh, uh, people, well, first of all, people will have in their nature a bias that will automatically make them feel comfortable with this kind of game, this style of game. Some people are more plodding, like Billy. Billy doesn't do Robotron. Billy does slow-moving, calculated things like Pac-Man yep. and Donkey Kong, which, which involve tremendous amount of meticulous detail, but not, not real fast reaction time. Mm. He probably could do it, but that's not his bias. That's not his. That's not his style. So you can see what I'm getting at. Worse, someone else might be in. 
into furious games that make you have to just jump out of your skin like Robotron, you know? Mm -hmm. Because they have a different energy level and a different way that the body is expressing the energy in terms of action and then skill sets. So the skill sets are different because of deep the skill sets are the skill set that they're expressing is not just a thing that's happening by accident, it's actually an expression of some really deep different deep spiritual development or maybe deep lack of spiritual development, you know? And uh and so, uh, but there was another part I was going to answer there, but I think I lost the, the train of thought here. So, uh, so, 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 are the games are some games more spiritual, or some <coughs> games less spiritual? Yeah. I think that it's really the person that brings the spirituality to the table more than the game itself. Yeah. But the game can be a trigger for that. A game can be a trigger for that person's particular way that they're built. Like the person who get who goes the person who goes into the zone while playing Robotron, if they're playing this Pac-Man, it doesn't trigger off the zone for them. They bring their spiritual development to the table, and the game can be the trigger to unfold it or unmask it or bring it to the surface. And some games will work better for a person than other games. So that a person who's got, here's an interesting aside. One time a guy came up to me at a big show back in February of 1985. It was called the ASI Show in New Orleans. And, uh, and he operated big game, big arcades in Memphis, Tennessee, fun city. And he says, Mr. Day, I don't know what it is, but if I take a Miss Pac-Man game, if I put a Miss Pac-Man game, and I put it in an area of town where white boys play it, it'll make very little money. But if I take that Miss Pac-Man game and put it over here where it's all black people coming into the store or something, it'll make a fortune. But if I take a Gallagher game and put it over where all the black people come in, it'll hardly make any money. But if I take that Gallagher game and put it over where the white boys come in and play, it'll make a ton. So in other words, there's deep, inner, built into the nervous system, stylizations. Hmm. That 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 that, and that, that's a, that's a very that's a very rough-hewn kind of way of explaining it. You know, the black and the white and the yeah. Gallagher and the Miss Pac-Man. But that applies at deeper, more refined levels from every single person to the next. Some people automatically will like the colors, they'll like the lights, they'll like the speed of it, they'll like the sound of it. All these different features that come with the game are either going to find a comfortable home inside of them or not. And when the and when the games match up like pieces of the puzzle and fit together, it's going to be a proving ground for them to be able to settle into that game and get the most out of it and get as close as they can to settling down into the state of the zone. So it's their spiritual evolution they bring to the table that's really the more important part, and then the game needs to match up with it. And then when that's the case, it'll allow them to settle down to a more refined level where that expansion and that clarity and that energy will manifest. Does that Thanks. answer it? It does. Thank you, okay. Walter. Um, I just wanted to, uh, I guess, record um, for prosperity because you know, this is going to be a podcast and um, it will hopefully survive. This will be interesting for people to listen to. I think yeah. it's going to be over a little bit of their heads. but I, Well, I think that it's it's sometimes important to ask deeper questions and that's, yeah. that's why I'm in this field. Yeah. Um, but I, I wanted to say how much I appreciate how you respect all gamers at all different levels and you've oh, yeah. done that forever oh, yeah. um, and what you've done 
um, personally to, to video gaming and classic video gaming in particular. Um, it's really admirable, um, particularly at this later stage in your life. And like as, as a classic gamer, as a gamer that plays um, games which aren't popular with, with the mainstream, um, I, I very much appreciate the efforts that you've taken and I, I really appreciate your time. Well, thank you. I'm honored to be appreciated. To do that. Uh, just back up entirely what you said and um, meeting you Walter has been I would say a life-changing moment um, oh, fascinating. It's That's just, uh, the things that you're saying they 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 sound like obvious things um, mm -hmm. to me but the way you articulate them sort of makes that larger and more understandable and something that you wouldn't necessarily think of before but because you articulate it so well it, it just sounds right and um, the reason this, the reason all this kind of stuff would resonate with you is because it's the time for this kind of stuff to, because it's, it's like a rebirth there's a rebirth going on and uh, in, in, in the ancient Vedic wisdom they talk about the different periods of time they talk about the Sat Yuga the Treta Yuga you've heard of these mm. the Varva and now we're in the Kali Yuga the Kali Yuga is the black age Kali's the black we're in what's called the, the Kali Yuga and during that time Knowledge gets lost, and while it's lost, whatever's left around gets turned into a big mess, and that's what's going on right now. It's a big mess, but no, but that's what's ending because there's a there's a sat yuga that's growing literally right now, that's actually supposed to go. It, it, it supposedly it really starts churning and becomes quite an adventure. Everybody starting soon, starting soon in 2020. And it's going to get so nuts that you won't believe it. But they say by 2024, it'll be very clear to even the most gross person that, wow, this is a good time now. In other words, a golden age is supposed to be coming. But all sorts of saints and all sorts of sages and all sorts of people from all sorts of different traditions are predicting and recognizing that big medicine's happening right now. And that's why this would resonate so well with you. Because even though I probably brought out different kind of intellectual ways of configuring it for you it just makes sense mm. right down to the bottom of your soul it just mm. makes sense mm. and uh, and that's because of the way the f everything's just unfolding mm. the sat yuga sat the golden age is coming back right now mm. isn't interesting well, thank you for your time walter yeah um, thank you do we not cover anything? I think uh, we no, no, I think we've we've done everything over and above, and you've been really generous with your time. I know you want to go see some koalas, um, and you know, all the other native animals. That are, yeah, I so. want to get I want to get the high scoring <laughs> koala hunt. Koala hunt, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you come to the right place. So that was the interview that I had with Walt today. Um, I, uh, I, yeah, I, I can't believe that um, he was giving so giving of his time over the last three days, um, and then even further to sit down with me um, whilst he was drinking uh, one of our Bundaberg ginger beers, <laughs> uh, nice. which I bought him. So um, yeah, it was, it was quite quite a surreal experience. Uh, and I, I very, very much enjoyed um, talking to him uh, about 
the aspects of uh, philosophy and theology that I don't think um, lots of people in the gaming space do actually speak to him about. Um, yeah. He sent me a message afterwards and said that he enjoyed the interview and how much he liked it, So, uh, which is really, really kind of him um, to do as well. What did you think? I thought it was good. I thought it was really... I thought he was really engaging, like, genuine-sounding person. And as someone that doesn't really know, I didn't really... Like, I know you've mentioned Walter today, and I know he's important to you, but I, I he's not really that um, important to me. So I wasn't listening mm-hmm. being like, oh, finally, like, an interview with Walter today. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like, it's not really my shtick. But um, I could see that, tell how excited you were and, and just how much this meant to you. And, and I was listening for things to do with your PhD, and I could see, like, a lot of, like connections there and I'm just thinking like this is great for Ben's PhD and mm-hmm. um, I liked it a lot more than I thought I would because I thought you it would be spending a lot of time on just talking about retro gaming but it was a lot about um, meditation and spirituality and and really it, there wasn't much gaming talk at all and I yeah. thought that was really cool and just at how um, like that I liked the beginning where he's talking about how like you know he was a hippie and took all the drugs and it just wasn't fulfilling for him and he actually mm. found a lot more fulfillment in in meditation and and spirituality which I thought was quite interesting because I know that a lot of um a lot of kind of I get really like um put out by a lot of like pro drug talk cuz coming from Byron Bay and a lot of my family do did drugs at some stage so you know, and I seem to like be like a homing beacon. Anybody that loves to take psychedelics or mushrooms or whatever, try to like find me out like in any sort of big social situation and talk to me just at how good it is because <laughs> I have such an anti-drug stance. I was just like, like, please don't, like, I don't care. And they'll be like, but if you just tried it just like one time and it just would open up your consciousness. And I'm like, I don't want to do drugs like ever, you know. So mm. they just seem to want to like prove a point that like I'm missing out on a, on a massive part of existence by not doing it. I know a lot of people think that. But what I liked about Walter is he was saying, well, you can actually get to these places and this kind of realizations without psychedelics because everybody's just so like at the moment a lot of people are talking about ayahuasca and mm-hmm. what's the other like peyote and all this witch and I'm just like I just don't want to do that like I'd love to be I love to open up my mind but I don't really want to do it through drugs like it's just not what like not me and so I thought that was really cool that he was so like anti anti-drugs and his sort of journey towards you know transcendental meditation and traveling to India and I thought there was a lot of like really cool things that I could connect with because you know I'm such a big fan of, of India and all that sort of stuff and you know it was very like new agey the whole interview yeah. like uh, it was really really cool when you sent me that message yesterday saying oh I'm not gonna have much to talk about it because it's just gonna be about gaming I'm like well actually <laughs> yeah <laughs> well um he travels to India every year as well. Um, oh, really? I didn't know that. That's yeah, so sweet. Yeah, he meets with a number of his yogis there, and um, he does a, a course um, uh, of meditation in India, which is seen, it, it, the belief is that it reverses some of the aging process. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, so, and he's done this so new age. <laughs> for years and years and years and will yeah. continue to do it. Um, so the interview... Uh, actually, I was meant to um, interview him earlier in the year uh, via Skype, and that was going to happen. And then um, his trip to India got moved, and I didn't know why. And it turns out it got moved because of this Australian trip. 
Um, oh, okay. So it was meant to be later, but yeah, he's done this now um, because he wanted to spend, uh, you know, two weeks in, in Australia. Um, and then um, just the, I guess, the stars all aligned for both of us as to, you know, we're both going to be at this point um, and both going to be physically here. So let's just have the conversation here in person. Uh, yeah. And I'm actually glad, gladder to do that in person. Um, and I understand yep. why he wants to do these type of discussions in person, um, particularly with a, a first-time engagement. Um, like you and I are not in the same place at the same time because you're in a different state. But we meet often enough, I think, that um, uh, we can pick up on the intricacies of, of uh, each other's um thoughts and the way we, we put things uh yeah whereas he uh and i it was the first time we're actually physically sitting in that space and that's it is very moving um having someone so honestly um unpack themselves uh in front of you in that way um yeah and on the drug thing he he i didn't speak to him about that in the last two days at all he mentioned to me so on the Saturday, he clarified about what I mean about a religious experience, which is a question that's come up all the time. Um, mm-hmm. Comes up from gamers and comes up from, you know, people that are, are religious and they want to see what do I actually mean by the religious experience of video gaming? Do I mean someone who thinks that, uh, you know, World of Warcraft is a church that I have to go to and practice? Or is it um, someone that's taking some aspect of the spirituality and then applying it in their life? Um, mm. And the reality is, it's not neither of those two things. It's a it's a mode of experience that I'm investigating of certain players. Uh, yeah. And once I clarified that with him, he was like, "Okay, yeah, excellent. Um, yep, yeah, I know what what you mean now. Uh, and yes, I can definitely talk about that." Um, yeah, because it seemed to me he's what he referred to as the zone is what you refer to as the flow state and what it probably other people have different words for but it, yes. it's more to do with a, a kind of like a, a meditative state that gamers get in when they've been playing for a really long time and it's akin to what you to think of as sort of um prayer or meditating or, or something like that is that right yes exactly yeah yep. um and if you just substitute his word zone for flow um you've got what i've written about in a number of papers already um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it, it, it makes sense what he's talking about. Yeah, no, and I got that. And what I also liked was that he didn't make it like, so I guess what what I listen to it, I, you know, I'm, I'm not skeptical, but I'm a little bit like, is, you know, is really playing like a game like, uh, you know, for eight hours the same as, as maybe being like a hermit at a, on a mountain summit for, for eight hours? Like, is it the same? And I kind of got the impression from his interview, he was sort of saying that, that what you're doing when you're playing those games, and, uh, you know, in that flow state, like it's amazing and it's really good, but you're not actually going as deep as you could. And it's sort of, he kept using that bubble analogy that you're only going a certain depth, mm. you're not reaching all the way to the bottom. And I thought that mm. was kind of interesting as well, that it's not like, he wasn't saying that like it is exactly always the same. He's saying that it's it's kind of like you're, you're reaching almost that point, but you're not quite. I don't know, that's the impression I got. Yeah, I think so. But I, I think it's it's also the different iteration of that experience. He, he did say, you know, there is a, uh, when I pushed him on, um, is there certain games that, that mm. faucet this or is it only specific type of experiences? And he actually stopped at that point and sat back in his chair and um, he, I could see he's considering 
what that is. And then how he mentions Billy. So that's Billy Mitchell. And he's been mm-hmm. playing, uh, well, he, he, he is alongside with Billy Mitchell and has been so for decades and can see the type of games that Billy plays. Um, over the last two days, I saw Billy Mitchell versus his son, Billy Mitchell uh, Jr. So Senior and Junior play the games very different, differently. Uh, Walter is right. Billy is methodical. So Senior. Senior stands there at the machine, sits at the machine, and methodically jumps and does these things. His son, being younger, takes more risks. And mm-hmm. because of those risks, actually gets into that flow a little bit faster sometimes, whereas Billy, he's long playing it. You know, he's sitting there, pressing the button, jump, and you can see he's methodically hitting that button, whereas his son starts to lean closer into the machine um, and acts a different way. And I think it's it's because both of them have a different type of game which just clicks with them. Um, mm. So I don't think that we can rank a, a religious experience on any different way, but perhaps these players, um, they're having these experiences because this is something that connects with them. Sitting on a mountain and meditating does not connect with them. This isn't the type of people that they are. They mm. are unlocking this experience, which is um, uh, potentially part of every human, and this is where, where I have to do the PhD work for, um, is it something intrinsic of a human person that is just after these perpetual journeys, is after this desire mm. to be um, perfect by doing something constantly? Uh, yeah, I, I yeah. definitely, like I know what you're saying, I get what he said, that, it, that games are tailored for certain individuals and that, that it's not really that certain games are better at reaching the flow state than other games, it's that, that they're more tailored to that individual's like personality. Or I think you use um, the Vedic different body types, so like um, hmm. I can't remember what, what four different ones you are, but you're either like air or just certain elements yeah, and that might mean that you're more... Yes. connected to it but I, I did definitely got the impression from listening to the interview that he thought that it it's only scraping the surface and that it's not going fully deep but it's it's kind it's it's reaching close mm. maybe reaching to like step three or four but it's not going all the way to ten and and the lack of consciousness uh, of those players that they're not really doing that or they're not really engaging with any other aspect of spirit actually mean that they're not really able to reach and I could have misunderstood but that's the impression I got when I was listening to him talk no I think you're right um, and I think that that's a good representation of what his belief is in relation to transcendental meditation yeah. and and this sort of open spirituality so he's a he's a spiritual traveler if you like um, and yes. so he and He's done this his whole life, um, and this is 50 years' worth of, of TM that he's put in. Um, mm. and he's made this his own style of uh, new religious movement almost. Um, however, I think that we can push on that and say, well, that works for him, but mm. does not work for Tim McVeigh, who plays Nibbler for 52 hours. Mm-hmm. Um, both of them have a different way of understanding the universe and the uh, Mm. the world and both of them are getting something different out of both of their own individual experiences so whereas walter needs to travel to india each year to meet with these yogis um tim doesn't need that because tim gets Mm. that that um my my question to you is though is would that do you think that it impacts the rest of his life maybe as profoundly as as somebody that is 
doing it 24-7 or, or, you know, putting 80% of their life into to fulfilling some spiritual needs. Whereas, you know, is that state that the gamer gets, is that only happening when he plays? Does he does he actually feel any sort of relief force or reaches any sort of spirituality outside of playing that flow state? They think, uh, so what, from what the questions that I've asked of these people that do play games for these extensive mm. periods of time, there is a... Um, <clears throat> There is a commonality across all of them that they are constantly returning their thoughts back to that process, even when they're doing other things in their life. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I've read enough spiritual tourism uh, work and, and um, stuff about pilgrimage to understand that people that come back from pilgrimage have a same uh, or very similar experience, that they are thinking back to that element and that impacts their life uh, going forward. Uh, mm. I don't think anyone except monks um, or, or people from from that that sort of tradition, um, no people sit there and have a religious a religious experience twenty four hours a day. It's mm. always something else as well. That mm. even if you are the Dalai Lama, you still have to go and eat and go to the toilet and act as a human. Um, with other humans at some point. Yes, you have those those religious type of experiences. You may have them more often, um, but I don't think that there is a mm-hmm. uh, yeah differentiation. I think between, between really, two, I don't think yeah. I agree. I think that if you're you're you know really really religious or you believe in something wholeheartedly, that will really impact your whole day even if you're not sitting down being like okay now i'm praying or now like it will kind of imbue everything you do to some degree whether it's you know how you look at the landscape or how you see the trees or you know like it will kind of infect you in a way that i think might not be different well it might be different to somebody that just sort of meditates by playing the game for maybe seven hours and then you know and then afterwards they're not then looking at like the trees differently and thinking Mm -hmm. wow that's like the 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 um, <laughs> column that I put in and it reached the got four lines on the game. Do you know what I'm saying? Like mm. I just think I don't know. I know we're not like I'm not debating. I just thought I just find it interesting. I've just been thinking about it and what I whether I agree. And I don't know if I do think it's exactly the same. I think so. You're right on. Well, I, I agree with you with with one of the points where um, a belief impacts you differently than an experience. Um, and this is where I've got a lot of work to do further. Um, mm. I don't think that religious experience is reliant on dogmas or, um, mm. you know, um, set standard beliefs that you can apply to different aspects of your life. What I'm trying to build is is some case to, for seeing the similarities of an experience, which is determined as being a religious experience. So this, these states of feeling, um, feeling divinity, as part of yourself, um, or feeling mm. elation as part of yourself, um, those I think are very similar to what I've seen with video gamers and what people um, like John Tannehill, who's played Space Invaders and actually says that he has dreamt that game and practices in his sleep. It's part <laughs> of his psyche now, um, yeah. And I can understand why he gets that particular game because it's. It's a very simple game, um, and uh, it's a very methodical game, and it's mm. a very flow state game if you want to get through that experience because it's you know you're just counting in your head. Um, 
shooting and counting and counting the bullets and mm. doing it over and over again constantly. That is something that seems to be um, what Walter Day talks about as being part of that Vedic tradition um, of that repetition and then being in this this state of, of elation and, mm. and unlocking your chakra. Um, yeah. It's just different terminology that people are using. And you, I, I think as, as someone who also teaches religious studies, um, you'd agree that we don't... Um, like elevate one religious tradition over another. We're just interested no. in what makes people tick, what makes these people do these things, yeah? Um, yeah? And I think that what's happening with these particular gamers, it's not all gamers, but it's these particular people that are doing these particular activities, um, that they are getting that same experience. Yeah, no, I think I agree. I think that, that you know, gaming, like, you know, long, the games that you're talking about, is like religious experience, but whether I think that it affects people full time throughout their lives as much as maybe, you know, a religion that has other aspects to it than just that experience is the same. I don't know if I agree. Mm. I think it's similar, mm. but maybe not the same. Yeah. Um, well, I can show you some of the results later and we can maybe <laughs> talk about this, but yeah, I think that there is going to be um, some, because the, the questions, that are part of my PhD is, you know, how does this compare with other aspects of your life? So whether you are from a religious tradition or a video gaming yep. background, I say, you know, um, uh, think about the experience that you have uh, playing the game. Do you feel that time goes faster? And how does this mm -hmm. impact your life uh, in other ways? Or how does this yep. compare with other aspects of your life? Um, and I ask the same Thing of religious people um, and what I'm finding is that gamers are a, a little bit forthcoming about how these games do affect their life and why mm. they've they do these things um, the other thing that I found interesting about the whole wall today experience is that he's had this this aspect of um, adversity in his life of the you know potential drug addiction and his mm. friends going through that, that process and that's why he came, became obsessed with this search for people that play games and play them to a certain level. Um, there's not many gamers that I've spoken to that have said, oh yeah, I was just bored one day and I wanted to play a game and I went to this. Mm. Most of them are talking about some, some level of adversity in their lives. And going mm. to the game for this reason, you know, friends dying, um, uh, remembering playing a game with their father who they have no longer got contact with, um, you know, trying to unlock some happiness in, from their childhood because now they're going through a divorce and um, this is a terrible time of their life. It's, it's coming up again and again um, that there is this adversity and that's why they turn to this. I think the same thing happens with the religion as well. Um, you know, for people that convert across to a religion, it's very common to hear, uh, you know, that they've, they've gone through a hard time in their life and their their church or their, their religious community has got them through this experience. Yeah. Um, and I, it's interesting that there is that, that similarity as well. Yeah, no, it's interesting, and I think now's a good time to discuss it because I mean the interview was so um, 
rich with stuff that's linked to your PhD. So I think it makes sense that we're having a little discussion about it now anyway. Hmm. Yeah. Um, Did you like the birds? Yeah, I love the birds. And at one point, was there a noisy miner being attacked, uh, attacking a crow? Because that's what it sounded like. Or a magpie? <laughs> no, no, I guess. What that was, that was a turkey that was um, next to Walter. And yeah. Wal- Walter made a gobble noise at the turkey. Is that what you're talking yeah. about? No, there was a point where they would sound like, because noisy miners have a distinct no- uh, call that they use when they're attacking a predator, whether it be a cat or a crow or um, they try and chase them away from the nest or they go like rah, 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 and they attack them. Oh. So that's what it sounded like at one point. Really? I'm curious to know okay. what happened. <laughs> there was shitload of birds. <laughs> there so birds everywhere um, flying all over the place. Uh, it's actually quite a, a, a peaceful space to be except for when the planes passed over and then it was like no yeah yeah yeah. that was that was not great um but it's it's cool it's like an audio adventure it is an audio adventure yeah um (laughs) and i think it's it's fitting to interview someone like that in a space away from gaming um but about gaming and he was very 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 comfortable in that um i've since seen on his because we're friends facebook now and stuff so on his Facebook, there's a photo of of Walter, Billy Mitchell, and Billy Mitchell wears um, like a suit all the time with American tie, and that's just what he wears all the time. He rocked up <laughs> to the koala sanctuary, and at, at one point in the interview, where Richie Knuckles is calling across at how long we're going to be. Yeah, um, I heard that. <laughs> yeah, that Billy Mitchell's sitting just to my right at that point, and he was joking around with us and being sarcastic before the interview as well. Yeah. Um, and so Billy's calling back, and you know, so they're they're yelling at each other. It is very very funny. Um, so they went into the koala sanctuary wearing what they normally wear, and there's a photo of both of them holding a koala. Uh, <laughs> and they did that for hours. They just hung around with koalas, and they were happy to do it. Um, just excited yeah. excited about you know, Australian animals and, um, you know, finding Tasmanian devils and how that they don't look like Taz at all. Um, yep. Yeah, yeah, really, really funny. No, that's cute. I'm glad you're having a good time. Thanks. It is good. It is good. Yeah. Mm. And so next week we'll be back together again. The band will be back together again. The band and will we'll be back. Doing, uh, we'll be looking at uh, what are we doing, Ben? Uh, we're going to look at Red Dwarf. Um, so season yeah. one, we we said last week that we were going to do that, but I thought you know with this interview, um, it, it should be out there. And also um, because Mark and Matt um, are going to be releasing this at the same time, um, I wanted to talk to you about the religious components of the the interview. Yeah. Um, and, uh, Mark and I recorded a discussion last night, which is going to be released on Game the System. So mm-hmm. like a nuclear submarine, we will turn the keys at exactly the same time and release both of the podcasts <laughs> to the world. And you mean then... like, like, oh no, I'm not going to do any, um, change of things. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I mentioned that. <laughs> but like that. Yeah, 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 like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that, that'll be released today, um, which is Tuesday. And then next week we talk about, um, Red Dwarf. Um, yep. Between now and then, I have what I came up here to compete for, which is the Arcade Championships, which is happening oh, yeah. on Saturday and Sunday next week. Um, plus, there is the Arcade Doubles Championships, and Matt and I are going to be um, a team for that, which is going to be kind of cool. Oh, awesome. Yeah, so yeah. there's that. And then 
there is a Mortal Kombat competition, which Mark is going to be part of. And Mark is quite good at Mortal Kombat, but there's people that yeah. are really good at Mortal Kombat. <laughs> um, but yeah, so there's there's all of that happening. Uh, Jody's going to come out and hang out for nice. a few days as well. So I'm going yep. back to the Koala Sanctuary to hang out with <laughs> koalas with Isaiah, which is going to be cool. Awesome. Um, so when do you get back? What day do you leave to come back to Sydney? Uh, I'll be back on the Monday. So Mon okay, yeah. Monday nights and then Tuesday it's straight to uni and doing the stuff that we normally do. Um, yep. So we'll do the recording then and then um, then the week returns to what it is. Awesome. And we're doing Red Dwarf, we're doing episode uh, season one, episode three, Balance of Power, and we're doing episode one, season four, Waiting for God. What? Yep. So no. Wait. They're, the, they're our next Red Dwarf episodes that we're doing. Is it? No, it's, it's yep. episode four, season one, Waiting for God. Isn't uh, it? Well, you, well, someone on the Google Docs has written episode one, season four. Oh, someone as in me. <laughs> yeah, that, that was you. <laughs> Don't worry, we will... Uh, yeah, so basically, <laughs> watch the first season of Red Dwarf, enjoy it, and then we will talk about... <laughs> but, the, but particularly episode three and four, uh, despite the, the unnamed possible person who has done the wrong thing. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, no, no, that's okay. But there are other episodes, I think, that we can talk about as well. So, okay, uh, yeah, uh, for, for the listeners at home, um, your study this week is watch every episode of Red Dwarf. <laughs> okay, great. Yes. All right. All right, good to talk to Bye, you. Everyone. You Bye, everyone. You too. Bye. Bye. Bye.